Hello, everyone. Welcome back to RPG R&D. I am your host, Jess Geyer. I am one half of Wannabe Games, and I am here with my co-host, Craig Campbell. I am not one half of Wannabe Games. Uh, I am the guy at Nerdburger Games. And uh, yeah, I'm Craig Campbell. Um, and uh, this, is our, this is our little uh, GMing and RPG design podcast. And our special guest co-host today, Jeff Batone. Hi, Jeff. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for being here and thank you for speaking with us today. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, so about a decade ago, I was the creative director at Slugfest Games, which is the makers of most popularly known the uh, card game Red Dragon Inn and its spinoffs. And since then, I've been sort of working uh, on my own, making my own stuff. And last year, I funded a successful Kickstarter for my first RPG, Boldly Go, which is a Star Trek-themed space exploration game. And uh, it was successfully funded, and now it's in print. So yay! And that's Woo! probably why I'm here. <laughs> I... I'm I'm in the process of moving right now and I was going through some of my things and I found from Gen Con 2009 I think it was a like a printed out rule set like not like regular rule set of Red Dragon Inn and just a set of cards that I had that had a rubber band around Oh my them, gosh. meaning not a box. I think I got it like at that convention for like like playing it in the convention hall. I saw that and I was like, oh, <laughs> you you probably did. That's that's a collector's item, right? There. I mean, it might be. I don't know. I, I would like to think that it is. But yeah, that was back in the day when we used to do all of our prototypes. It was just like we're gonna we're gonna take some cards and you know, cardstock, run it through the printer and cut it up by hand and then play it and see if it worked. So I remember having a lot of fun with it. Like that was my first ever Gen Con too. And I oh, think yeah? it was the first game I played at Gen Con that year. Oh and wow. Was, yeah. <laughs> I was so completely overwhelmed. I was just there with some of my friends that I played D&D with in high school and it's <laughs> <laughs> like walking through trying to figure out a game to play. I didn't know at that Gen Con that you were supposed to like sign up for games and, and play them. You know? right. So they had all gone off to go do their own thing and I was left like, okay, what do I do now? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll just stand here. Oh, games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that was my first convention too. They're like, did you sign up for anything? I'm like, sign up. Yeah. What? Oh no! <laughs> I, I signed up for my badge. I got in the door. All right. Well, here's some generics. Come with me. Yeah, uh, it was it was really overwhelming. Yeah. <laughs> but then, but then I found a lot of cool stuff I wanted to do, and now I love that convention. So that's yeah, great. There's yeah. there's there's no uh, shortage of things to do at Gen Con. No, yeah. and I could totally see it going there, it being overwhelming, and I had to transition because for the. The first few years I was with Slugfest Games, so I was in a booth all the time. So I had structure. And then I was like, well, I'm not there anymore. I guess I'll go and I don't know what to do now. <laughs> Eight hours isn't being spent at a dealer's hall. I'm so I guess I'll just go to the dealer's hall. And then gradually I figured it out. Uh, well, this isn't a podcast about reminiscing about Jenga, <laughs> but Bonus content. sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. <laughs> we have uh, two topics today. Um, one GMing topic and one game design topic. Uh, and our, our GMing topic today is creating interesting adversaries for your players. <laughs> yeah, step one, learn how to laugh evilly, just like Craig did. Yes. 
there's always always of, a there's bonus. a there's a lot of great ways to laugh to laugh evil there's a lot <laughs> of evil laughs yeah. I, I have such a high-pitched voice so i can't like sound stereotypically evil but i can sound creepy girl in a horror movie evil well you can uh, if with a higher pitched voice you can do like the the the, the crazy witch evil laugh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the yes <laughs> i can oh, do that although if you if you get that voice behind an evil doll i know a lot of gamers who would just be like nope nope we're out we're done <laughs> goodbye <laughs> exactly I, that that's that's where my my talents lie um <laughs> Uh, Jeff, tell tell us about um, some of the interesting adversaries you've created for your players. Uh, so, okay, that's uh, that's interesting. So, I think uh, I'm gonna. I'm also a LARPer, so I do live action role playing games. And uh, I a long time ago, I worked on this game called Prophecy, which was a campaign. It was a three year story, beginning, middle, and end. And we had this meeting at the beginning when we were talking about it. And, and it was to that point, most of us had played LARPs, and it's like the guy in black comes out of the woods with the undead and laughs evilly and then explodes. And we were like, that's fine, that's fun. But we wanted something a little bit more complicated. And so what we tried to do, and I think the, the two big things that I took away from it that I've been using ever since are one, make a villain who for whatever reason, you can't just stab so that they stick around and, and they just they just bother you and stymie you and, and sort of you know wink across the boardroom table and whatever. And the other one was, make your villains, if not necessarily redeemable, because not all villains I think should be redeemable, but understandable. Like they're not just doing this for the sake of destroying the world. They're doing this because they feel like in their head that they're, they're good and that their way is right. And once I felt, I've always found out that once players start to get to understand the villain, they're like, okay, I get where they're coming from. I still hate them. Now I think I know how to stop them, <laughs> and yeah, that's hu- fun. human human motivations to yeah. to an adversary is always good. Having an an, uh, an enemy who, when you once you learn what you know why they're doing the thing that they're doing, if you can make the players go, well, mm-hmm. I see where he's coming from, right? <laughs> like, like yeah. I'm, I'm, I think my character would probably do the same thing under those circumstances that they've gone through or something very similar um, makes, uh, makes for a very interesting, very memorable adversary because it puts the players in the position of having to decide not just to blindly go forward and say, oh, we're just going to kill. We're just going to arrest and imprison or, you know, whatever. Like there's, you find yourself, like you said, potentially redeeming um, or at the very least, you give the players the opportunity to utilize that humanity that the villain has um, in interesting ways where you can, players can then, you know, the, their characters can try to manipulate to get the villain to stop doing certain things. Even right. if, they, if they can't defeat the villain immediately, maybe they can curtail some of the, you know, the nefarious plot um, by making the villain um, rethink their their motivation or their plans. Um, so, you know, a lot of that complexity can help. Um, those are, those can be incredibly rewarding and they can be tough to do. And they can also get, like you said, Jeff, just yanked right out from underneath you as the GM. If, if the, if the players get some lucky rolls, right. And suddenly (laughs) kill the the villain that you had all of these plans for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's having a really good motivation for your villain. I think 
that's really important whether or not like whether you're designing a villain for a tabletop game or if you're just writing a story the 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 big evil bad guy who's evil for evil's sake is kind of an overused cliche even Sauron in Lord of the Rings had some motivation of wanting power. Like there were, there was a little bit there in Saruman. Right. I've been rereading the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Oh, Sar- like, Saruman is so good. He's so good. Like his motivations, like he thinks yeah. he's totally doing the right thing. He yeah. thinks he's doing the right thing. He, right. He, he thinks that the proposal he's giving to Gandalf to join him and be on the evil side, you're like, yes, we'll have to commit some atrocities, but think <laughs> of the, the good but, we can do in the future. Like, but we'll get the ring and we'll fun. stop it. Yeah, that's the kind of cool evil. Like even like you're very obviously evil, dude. Right. <laughs> but like at least he's not just like yeah, I really like murder, and that's why I'm a villain. Um, even even Worm Tongue is like I don't know. <laughs> I'm a dude. little upset by what you're doing here. I'm crying. <laughs> uh, yeah, trembling. There, there. Everyone in reality thinks that they are doing the right thing everyone has like in in real life the villains of our era have motivations where they think that they are doing the right thing even though they know even if they know that they're doing something bad even if they know that what they're doing is evil and they think that the ends will justify the means and and thinking about don't just end at the ends for your villain like sure okay they want to destroy the world mm-hmm. why is right. is there is there something corrupt with the world that maybe you could fix is that the players could fix or like what's what's going on behind the scenes and that can also help you give like the little breadcrumbs for your players too to work up to the step of defeating the big bad evil guy like right okay he's an unstoppable evil force well what's going to happen if you get rid of him is there still going to be bad stuff in the world like what what do you need to do um and, and building up to that I think the, the 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 worst thing for me is when I have, and you guys kind of mentioned this too, when I have a villain and then they get to the villain and they, they just kill the villain without talking to him right. or, or her or them. I, I hate that. Uh, <laughs> I hate, and I, in LARPs too, like there are so many times where like an NPC bad guy comes out of the woods and then everyone takes their boppers and just kills them. Yeah. Before they, like, oh, you're a skull. Ah. <laughs> I what had happened? a speech prepared. <laughs> thinking about those motivations yeah i had a backstory <laughs> um, thinking about their motivations as well as your players motivations can help you tease right. some things out so if you had a, one of my favorite villains in a uh, larp that i used to play was a member of the royalty who was trying to marry into like marry the duchess of our of our duchy and there wasn't he wasn't doing anything illegal he was just a jag off. I didn't like right. him. <laughs> and he was a villain to me <laughs> because he was trying to take some power and I wanted that power. So thinking about your player's motivations and then there are going to be people who want to be on his side maybe because he can give them something. Right. Um, like really working with not just the motivations of your villain, but the motivations of everybody else in the world will make your players hesitate to just fireball into his castle and be done with it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I had, so one of the more memorable uh, NPC villains we had was at Prophecy was Earl Ranoff, who was like, from the word go, everybody was like, he's a bad guy. 
He has a bad guy name. <laughs> yeah, he has. It's like Earl Randolph. Okay, yeah, he's terrible. And we pretty much suspect that he is behind half of the problems that are happening. Well, then let's do something. Well, we can't because he's a nobleman. And if we go to court and say he's bad, they'll be like, he's a nobleman. His word goes, bring me proof. And they're like, oh, so the whole game was like, we have to get ironclad proof so that when we present it. He hangs because if we don't, we hang. Yeah. <laughs> and that was, that was fun because then it turned into this game of cat and mouse where it's like, you can't be overt because then he'll know. And, but, but of course he knows. And so he can't be overt either. So it's you versus his minions and just trying to one up one another. And that really made, I think the game very memorable because yeah. it wasn't just about like, you're over there and we're over here and we're throwing fireballs and you're dying. It's the intrigue of the matter. It's the yeah. buildup, the tension. <laughs> How about you, Greg? You have a special villain that you... Oh, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the you don't know who the villain is. Um, That's good too. It requires, you know, generating a number of NPCs um, and getting them out there, whether they're, you know, big, bad, evil, you know, NPCs, they're doing bad, evil things, or whether they're just characters that are kind of, you know, NPCs that are peripherally associated with what's going on or who always seem to be around when the stuff is happening, but aren't necessarily overtly doing things that the players never catch them in the act of doing anything, but they're secretly um, pulling the strings. And um, it, it, it's playing that type of a, of a villain. It requires a few, it requires a, 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 like, I, I think doing it well requires a lot of work on the, on the GM's part mm -hmm. um, because you're going, you need to, you need to red herring the heck out of it. You need to misdirect to uh, multiple different sources that are viable and reasonable that the players will think, okay, it could be this person. Um, and, and then pull the rug out and, and, and reveal that it's in fact, not them. Um, and, and do that in different ways. Don't let the, you know, like the player, if the characters go around just and just kill all the kind of suspect characters, right. <laughs> one after the other, until we get the right one. Um, it's not as interesting as if you have them, you know, like, well, they depose this person from their noble, their noble station and this person, they, uh, they ruin their reputation um, or they, or you, or you otherwise like uh, get rid of their influence so that they can't do the evil things, you know, the bad, the big, the big bad things that they want to try to do. Um, um, or you, you know, you imprison them or, or whatever. There's a lot of different directions you can go with it. And the, the, one of the great things about that type of a baddie is if you build enough NPCs that are all very viable and you pay close attention to what you're developing and what happens, like what you improvise during the game, because you don't want to suddenly improvise something that's going to go against the the plan that you had in place is you don't have to decide who the big bad guy really is until halfway three quarters of the way through the campaign um but you but you you know to pay that off properly you need to pay attention to like okay well now i've presented that this character did xyz that's not going to jive as well if, if they're the bad you know if they're the big bad behind everything that's not going to make sense Right. Um, and so you, you make sure that you leave yourself the outs to um, to have the, the ultimate big bad be um, reasonable and um, uh, believable for the characters. And, you know, and then the, and, and don't take it right. To, my, my advice on this type of thing is to do not take it right to the end and, and gotcha the characters at the end. Right. Give them the chance to 
like once they start to figure it out, once they start to really nail it down and they're, they're pretty sure that it's, this is the person and you think, okay, that's a good way to go with it. That's who's really behind this. Um, you can flesh that out a little bit more. You can put um, situations in place that makes it makes that character hard to get to um, so that you can kind of stretch it out a little bit, but you can reward the players then for, for noodling out everything that's happened. Um, but then just make them work for it just a little yeah. Um, to, to finally, uh, to pay it off and to take out the big bad. I mean, that, that goes into motivations too. Um, when I wrote mysteries for Baker street, you, if the players know exactly what's going on from the, the beginning, the whole mystery is spoiled. You have to like having those red herring villains is so important. Mm -hmm. And what makes a villain, the potential villain is their motivation. Do they have a motive for the crime in, in the case of a Baker street game? Mm -hmm. Uh, it, which is a Sherlock Holmes game. Um, so you you start off, there are all these leads you could potentially pursue because everyone is a, is a suspect because everyone might have wanted to do the thing. And then you slowly narrow it down. And Craig, like you said, it doesn't have to be like for, for Baker Street, you need to have the plan set up. There's a lot of front loading for the, for the designer of the mystery. Uh, but in a lot of games, you can kind of make those decisions on the fly um like maybe they start getting suspicious of this random npc that you didn't have any plans for they were just they were just the people who brought out the tea that day <laughs> maybe you want to develop that into something later um and uh, yeah there's that and then you also mentioned like the the power vacuum issue in moonpunk it's not enough to just get rid of like the the oppressor at the top of everything because someone else is just going to step into the place. So there, there, are, there are rules in place where the, the players have to not only gather the evidence to get everybody on board and realize like, hey, this person is bad or this system is bad, let's get rid of it. They have to replace that with something that will fill the power vacuum in a good way instead of a bad way. Because coups don't always end nice. Good no, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> they the don't devil, always end yeah, up great. <laughs> the devil you know or the devil you don't know, kind of thing. Um, absolutely, yeah. That's 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 a good point too. Like, it's a great uh, something to make an adversary very interesting. It's like, well, what happens when the adversary is gone? Okay, this bad guy just using the D and D tropes, right? This bad guy has united the goblin clans um, and is marching them as an army. Well, what happens if this you defeat you know, you get rid of the bad guy, you imprison them or kill them or whatever well now you've got a bunch of ro you've got a bunch right. of roving goblins that are going to just go you know potentially ape shit and start <laughs> just you know <laughs> warring with each other okay well maybe that doesn't bother you so much but or they're going to go you know and like there was there was this structured plan for their, they were they were going to go here and there were certain areas of the kingdom that were actually going to be saved like so people could refugees could go to this area because the army's not going to be there but if all of a sudden the goblins are everywhere because they don't have any structure behind them anymore um well now now there's no safe place right everybody suffers no so now the, the the player you know and and warn the players of that give the characters the opportunity to say okay well how are we going to deal with this how are we going you know maybe they have to go and make peace with the with, with goblin leaders <laughs> right. um or 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 find other ways to to make sure that like you know the the aftermath isn't worse than what they were taking care of yeah, there was a there was a campaign that I played a long time ago where it was like, so 
this is the royal succession and it's all messed up and the bad guy is is now in line to the throne. Well, we should stop him. And then you find out he's the only one qualified to be in charge. Like everybody else is either like, the, so there's this paladin, but he wants to institute a religious theocracy that's really, really draconian. I mean, he's he's good, but so it was one of those things where in the end, we basically just said, okay, I guess we we mitigate the damage that this guy is doing as mo- much as we can and he stays king <laughs> and somehow we have to live with that <laughs> and that's i mean and i mean i love i think that's one of the things that i love about really complicated villains and really complicated stories is that you get to have these choices that are like i don't know what the right thing is to do and there were seven things that we wanted but we got four of them and and that's good for a sequel, I guess. Yeah, it's messy. It's really yeah. messy. I like to um, the campaign. I'm, I'm playing a and d campaign kind of on and off when I have time uh, with my fiance and one of our friends. And I wanted I wanted to set it up. So like you have a very clear bad guy. He is a, uh, a death knight. He <laughs> has a Drago Lich. He's bad. He kidnapped the princess who is your sister. Very clear setup. But the things that they have to do in order to stop him are challenging to my players. They, they require a lot of sacrifice. There, there, there are dangers in play. There are other things going on in the world. And, and they're not going to get everything they want at the end. Um unless they have a smart idea that I haven't thought of at least. Right. <laughs> they might. Surprise. <laughs> they could. They've done a lot of weird stuff I didn't expect, but um, yeah, it, it's okay to, to leave things messy. Um, interesting things can be very messy sometimes. Um, I, I loved your idea, like the succession thing, like of, of the throne, who else could possibly be on the throne? Um, a lot of people play these, you know, they play like the, the pseudo your medieval European fantasy style games, which I, I love, love that genre. You can use real life problems from the Middle Ages if you'd like. There, there are lots of things in history that can can inspire you for, for cool motivations. Uh, real people have real motivations. Uh, Game of Thrones was based off of some real life stuff that very, very loosely, obviously, but based off of some real political issues. Um, yeah, history's full of weird and frankly, very evil people that you can yes. borrow from. <laughs> and these, these frankly evil people didn't often think that they were doing the evil things. <laughs> they, they had their reasons sometimes. Um, right. I feel like I'm engaging in villain apologia. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> that's <laughs> me, that's let okay. Me, let me say that very clearly. Um, um, but yeah, it's uh, there's there's a lot of fun stuff you could you could do within that. What if the the baddie suddenly needs your help because there's something even worse? Right. That's that's suddenly. That on the on the cusp of happening yeah um, that's something that i really wish they had explored more in the star wars universe because in the, in the expanded universe you find out the palpatine's like i'm doing this because there's an invasion from another galaxy yeah. and if i don't get you all in line they're going to kill us all yeah. and and that's such an interesting story that sort of reframes this guy who seems like 
cartoonishly villainous that I I really wanted to explore that part. And I also like the idea of you. It's sort of the same thing, but it's like you are teaming up with one of the baddies against another baddie because baddie A is like, he's terrible, but he's our kind of terrible. That guy over there, though, no, we got to get rid of him. Let's work together. That, yes. that guy is going to be a real problem. <laughs> right. <laughs> or even we, we kind of talked about this in our last episode with these like NPCs that you spare. And then later that you find out they have a tragic backstory. They were doing this for a reason. Um, in Avatar The Last Airbender, spoilers, skip ahead like a minute if you don't want to hear a spoiler for Avatar The Last Airbender. They joined forces with Zuko, the, the prince, who had at that point been the villain to fight the big bad villain who is Zuko's father, the Fire Lord. And like this, this wonderful redemption story happens with a few little bumps in the way. But everyone likes those. Everyone likes a, a cool, fun villain. Everyone yeah. likes a, a cad, you know, and everyone and it, loves Loki. Yeah, everyone loves yes. Loki. Loki murdered a bunch of people in New York City, and everyone loves him. It's great. Yeah, I don't get it, but there you go. <laughs> people like those people. No, <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's like, but you're so charming and likable, like, and you have cool lines. So you're a scamp. <laughs> but you can you can set up you can set that up in so many different ways. The the the, the baddie that you thought was doing all of this was mind controlled or was tricked or something was ma- <laughs> manipulated was um extorted was uh you know uh, they were they were doing it because uh, a family member or someone you know beloved to them was kidnapped and being threatened um they were put into these you know just terrible situation and they they did the terrible things they did because it was the only way to you know accomplish whatever it was they were trying to accomplish um for the benefit of someone else um you know, you know, and, and like you said, again, coming back to having it, uh, having human motivation behind it, like a villain that is willing to unleash a lot of violence um, somewhere because it's going to save their one true love. Right. Um, and that one true love, like if like what happens if you can what, what if uh, what if the characters can can go rescue that love? Um, and reunite them and the, and that love will change the villain and like you know yeah. like you can like who knows what uh, uh, what what you know the, the, the different directions you can take it especially in a, if you're playing a game where it's not you know kind of mostly built into the game that it's just about killing the baddie um, yeah you know and, and, and even in a game where it's like that where D is you know kick down the you know kick down the door kill the orc take his pie um <laughs> you, you 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 like you know maybe, maybe that that pie has a value <laughs> maybe the orc is protecting it for a reason yeah and you don't have to feel like the reason behind it necessarily has to be a logical reason that you would agree with or that someone who is kind of like you know thinking logically might agree with sometimes the bad guy wants to cut down this entire rainforest purely out of greed and that is an objectively bad reason but it's still a reason it's not just like haha hate rainforests it's like you think a little bit about those motivating factors even if the motivating factors are bad um and i i i personally though i love i love a a a problematic fave villain um i i love the villains who are doing this because they because their their love of their life was kidnapped i will i am a sucker for that i will always take that bait as a player i i am so happy 
to completely embrace a villain who tells me a sad story. <laughs> right. <laughs> you can trick me so easily as a player. No, me too. I'm not, it's like, but he's a monster. Like, but his cat. I'm sad. <laughs> but he just wants to save his puppy. <laughs> <laughs> he killed your grandma. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I can't explain it. <laughs> <laughs> well, they can also make the players think too, like how are they going to punish this villain? Is it going to be, yeah, we're going to murder the heck out of this guy? Right. Or is it going to be like, what are you going to do? And you can even play with that with your themes a little bit if you, um, if, if that's something you want to do at your table. Like, is this a game where you're exploring how far your players will go to be the good guys? Because um, you can start turning those same thoughts back on them, holding a mirror up to them and saying like, hey, look at what you've just done. Right. Um, it's sometimes that can be a cop out, but done well, it it's 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 a fun way to add a little drama to the table and make make your players second guess. I I had a, a I ran a Deadlands game where a pivotal moment in the story was resulted basically in the players having to send souls to seal a rift of sorts. They, they, they ultimately decided they were going to trick a bunch of the townsfolk to go into the railway, railroad, railway station and blow it up and kill them all. Oh, like my God. 40, 50 people to seal a rift that was going to keep hundreds of Manitous from flowing over from the spirit realm um, and laying waste to and, and turning the whole region into a dead land. Um, and uh, they thought about it long and hard and in the end they blew it up they murdered characters um npcs because it was like the, you know like yeah and 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 they were dealing with an adversary that was like putting them in that position one of my favorite moments in a game was we had there was this ancient god that was devouring souls in new orleans and it was just wreaking havoc everywhere and it was this huge event because our characters were supposed to keep things that were beyond the veil, beyond the veil, and not not let anyone else know what's going on. So these this 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 uh, ancient god is like eating souls, and there was only one way to stop it, and someone had to essentially sacrifice their life and be eternally tormented by this ancient god in a little box. And we sat there for like a good hour debating, okay, which of us is it going to be? Who is it going to be? Is it going to be one of our player characters? It, it was that was a very emotional experience and I, I loved it for the style of the game because it was it was a dark horror game um and uh yeah don't do that to a to a group of players who were playing a happy-go-lucky game just a couple don't months ago that's not right for tune that's not <laughs> no 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 no, no. <laughs> no but um but yeah, making making those like I I I love those moments too because I like I like playing games that that allow me to explore those those kinds of um, tough ethical Ad adversaries decisions. adversaries that will force the players to make moral choices. Yeah, and so, and sometimes make like the dark choice. Yeah, if you think about plot structure too, like for books usually at the midpoint of a book the characters realize that the thing they wanted isn't exactly what they wanted or the way that they were going to get it like it's they need to make this decision of what exactly they're going to do 
Um, and, and your job as a GM is to increase the tension as you're reaching the climax of your story, because that's what makes a memorable, fun experience for everyone. Right. Yeah. One of the things too, and this is, you sort of touched on this, but I just wanted to mention it quickly is I like it when I can make the villain a foil to a player. Yeah. Like I'm running this long running call of Cthulhu game now. And one of the players is a judge and the other player is his Mr. Fix it driver, handyman does whatever the judge tells him. And one of the bad guys had a servant who is literally the exact same way as like my boss comes first whatever he says is what I do. And the two of them became the most bitter rivals. I think because it's like, I recognize the you that is in me and I hate it and you're going down. And that was, and that just brought up so much tension because it was, it wasn't like this inexplicable. I don't understand who this is. I don't get where they're coming from. It's like, I get exactly where they're coming from. I could see how I could become him. I don't know how to stop that. And we're constantly at odds. So that's fun. That is fun. I'm yeah. gonna steal that idea. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's that's there's the uh, the the reflecting the character, you know, the the player's character into a bad guy, into the adversary. Um, you know, like you said, it can be like this is like well, there's the nefarious version of me that's mm-hmm. just like me, but has like this slightly different attitude, this slightly different something about them that kind of tweaks them in this other direction. Um, or, and this is, you know, something that comes to play um, in like, in, particularly in comic, uh, comic book in supers games is the polar opposite. Right. Um, you can get a really memorable, interesting adversary out of the polar opposite. Um, if you've got a character who is the big brute, like, you know, bashes down doors and does all that stuff. Well, they're the person that's going to, you know, that's the, the adversary that's going to vex them the most is the one that they can never get close to to hurt because they're just too smart. Right. And they're just too wily and manipulative that the, you can't, you know, like the, the big, the big brute that just, if I, if I could get next to him, this would all be over. Right. Um, but that, but this adversary is so, is so clever. Um, yes. And, I make everything that is in that. your wheelhouse, not work against me. And so yeah, everything, everything that you have that makes you the, the great hero that can stop me is useless against me. Or even better you. is, is, is harmful to your goal of stopping me. You hit me with energy, but it turns out I absorb energy <laughs> and right. fire it back at you. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, I. But that's yeah. Using using what's in your player's wheelhouse against them or or things like that. I don't. I I would recommend not doing that too much because that can be really frustrating for players. There should always be an out for mm-hmm. for players. Like there should always be a solution. You yeah. don't. You don't want to go into it as a GM hoping that your players lose really because that's like always leave the possibility that they'll lose sure but and you are fighting against them often and a lot of games you're fighting against them but there should always be a way for them to win and have a, a a relatively happy ending genre appropriate for what a happy ending might be right um but yeah i i it's it's kind of a question of be cognizant of how long you will drag something like that out because too short of a time, it doesn't have enough impact too long of a time. It becomes tedious and, and um, disheartening to the player, yeah. but the right amount of time mm-hmm. becomes really satisfying. 
Like yeah. this bad guy has vexed me for this certain amount of time that just, oh my God, I was just getting so close and I couldn't quite get there and couldn't, 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 couldn't. And then I got him. Yeah. But um, finally everything fell into place. Yes. And we, uh, yeah. And that's, I found that when you do it, when you manage to do it right, that's a story that they keep telling themselves for years afterwards. And it's, true. and that's great. That's it's just true. great. Where it's like, like apparently my call of Cthulhu players, cause we're still doing this over zoom when they get together, they're like, okay, so this guy that we met that one time, do you think, and I'm like, that's, that's awesome. I, I don't know where you got that from, but I'm glad you're invested. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, that I love that about players. I love that about being a player. Yeah. Is like, is this a thing? Is this a thing? <laughs> if it is uh, a thing, we're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, that, that, always too. We say this a lot on this podcast. Like, check in with your players and make sure everyone's like on the same page with things. Because yeah, if, if if you ask your players, like, hey, is this? Are you feeling okay about how how shitty this villain is right now? Right. How hard he is to beat? <laughs> like check in with them and, and make sure that everyone's like actually having fun because some some players too will get into the role play a lot and it will seem like they are not having fun at all it will seem like they are really pissed off at you but really they're they're just like really embodying their character it yeah, is like, good to take that out of they, they're they, they may be enjoying playing their character as being really irritated <laughs> by how, how hard this has become. Whereas right. they themselves personally, as a, as a human being, as a player are digging it. Yeah. Cause they, cause they, cause they know ideally, hopefully, you know, like, like they, they know, and they trust you that like when it happens, this is going to be really satisfying. So yeah. I'm going to really, you know, I'm going to stretch it out and let my character get really, really angry. About it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's. I think it's definitely because I I get very sensitive to that. I want to make sure that everybody's having a good time, and I'm like, are you are you upset for real, real or for play, play? And yeah. they're like, no, it's for play, play. Is it okay, good? But I've also also had this situation where it's like that morally gray story where we might have been as evil as the bad guy. That was fun, but I want to just do something and feel good about doing it. So can the next bad guy just have a black cape and cackle all the time so I won't feel bad when I push him down a well. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's worth that's a worthy conversation to have too, even at session zero to say, mm -hmm. like, you know, what what kind of what kind of adversaries do you want to see? Do you want the big evil, you know, uh, mastermind at the end? Or do, would you prefer to see things more compartmentalized where we kind of go through some different villains where like we 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 don't I'm I don't want to drag something out if it's just gonna be, you know, irritating to take, you know how many ever set, you know, 30 sessions to get around to dealing with the, right. the, the actual it's baddie. Very similar to like, you don't want to surprise the characters with who the bad guy is. Like you don't want anything to really come out of nowhere for your players. Cause that's never very satisfying. And that includes consequences of their actions. You, I, I hate when a game makes me do something bad. Like I have no choice. And then they're like, look at the bad thing you did. Look right. how bad you are. <laughs> you, I didn't do that because I wanted to. I did it because I want to finish the game. Yeah, you you made me do this. Like, <laughs> right. It's, it's part of the whole, like, you don't want to railroad your players into anything. And that includes, you don't want to railroad them into consequences that maybe it's okay with them. Again, this is a session zero thing to think about. But, like, if I'm setting up this, kobold colony as my bad guy for some players 
I, I don't want to set them up as like so empirically evil and they're like, yes, they're, they're very evil. No, trust me, they're very evil. Look at all the evil things they do. And then at the end, they get rid of them. They kill them all. And they're like, oh, but they had, they had babies. They had families too. Just, like, <laughs> right. <laughs> don't, don't, I hate that. I feel no, like I that's do a too. cheap shot. That's a cheap yeah. shot. That's you like, well, I, tr- I was, I was playing by the rules and now I feel bad. I don't want to feel bad. <laughs> you made them evil. You told me. <laughs> <laughs> it was here in the brochure. <laughs> uh, what about evil actions? Um, because we talked a lot about the motivations of villains or adversaries, I should say, because they're not always necessarily villains. We've talked about motivations. We've talked about like who they are and the consequences of beating them. But like, what about the interesting actions that they take along the way? Do you have any go-to moves that your adversaries do? Uh, Still a beloved what? NPC. Oh, that's the and, worst. And and the best the best NPC to kill is the one that you didn't plan for them for the player. You didn't plan for this NPC to be an important NPC. The players just for whatever reason latched onto them, so you ran with it and you mm-hmm. built them up over the course of twelve sessions, and then you <laughs> murdered them. Yeah. <laughs> And if you can, you did it in front of the characters. Now that, <sighs> that that's risky because the characters could save the person, and that's that's great too. Like, like the yeah. characters save the beloved NPC. But uh, there's something to be said for, yeah, um, you know, when when everybody's really invested in this NPC and they really love, like every time you br- you break this NPC out, you do your silly little walk in your voice, and all this <laughs> stuff. they're all just like, oh, he's here, here we go. Um, and then, um, like they're, they, they get kidnapped or they just, you know, they get killed or they get just, or they just disappear. They're just gone. I did that once in a game, um, long ago to this day, players don't know what happened to that character. That, oh. that character just left. They're oh, just that's terrifying. Oh it God. is absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Wow. Cause they expected, um, like me to give them some sort of denomen at the end of this, at the end of the campaign. Well, so what happened to Bob? I was like, your characters don't never know. find out. They spend the rest of their lives never knowing. And Yikes. that's how Craig became the villain. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did that too. So in, in my Call of Cthulhu game, I have this, this sort of mafia enforcer called Luca, who is big and, and violent and also, but dumb and friendly and everybody loves him. And there was one point where they're like, we got to work with the mob to stop the cultists. And in the middle of the fight, Luca and one of the other guys are there and they're shooting and this guy unloads a shotgun and it's like lethal damage. Like this guy's going to die. And so I said, you get the opportunity to make a constitution save or a luck save. He's like, what happens with each one? I'm like, I'm not going to tell you, make a roll. So he said, I roll luck. I said, luckily Luca pulls you down at the last second and takes a shotgun blast. And everybody's like, no, you monster. I'm like, you picked to roll luck. I hate him. And he lived because he was, you know, he was like maximum size, maximum con, maximum hit points and just barely made it. But like, I almost had a riot on my hands for how <laughs> mad they were at the bad guys for shooting Luke in the back. That's so funny. Yeah. I love that. Oh, that's, that's a good one. And good, good for you for not killing you. Cause clearly <laughs> I, I knew they would never forgive me. <laughs> so I was just like, okay, he, he lives. Everything is fine. See you next week. <laughs> I, I like my adversaries um, to trick the PCs or friendly NPCs in some way. I, I like mystery bad people in a lot of cases 
And I, I love to, when I have those opportunities, because they come around a little rarely, to try to make that NPC a love interest for another character. Because uh, enemies to lovers or lovers to enemies is another trope that I absolutely adore. And again, I will bite that that hook every day. Um, or to to trick them, like MacGuffin gathering. I know this is also almost cliche now, but or it is cliche, but you were secretly gathering the MacGuffins for the villain all along. I I fall into that trap all the time. I it's like finding the fun ways that you can make I you gotta drop some breadcrumbs because again you don't want everything to come out of nowhere, but right. like the little ways that they can you can lie to your players on on the bad guy's behalf are so satisfying because they're always like oh we we should have known or like i had a bad feeling about this i i love those moments as a player too don't be my general advice here too just as a corollary don't be afraid of the cliches yeah uh cliches and tropes they they, the cliches are cliches because they've been used a lot and they've been used a lot because they work right um because they resonate with us in some way we we you know like if you're going to have the, like you said, the enemy to lover <laughs> or the love, you know, lover, lover becomes enemy. Like that's, that, that, that's, that works. That, that gets people invested in the love. And then when the love goes bad and becomes, and it's, it's an, cause it's an, this is a great one too. Buffy, the vampire slayer and angel to an extent as well, but very much Buffy did this very, very well, which was to take everyday things and, and put them, you know, kind of put, put them in the game twist. Like, you know, the, the lover to enemy, thing works because many people have had someone that they've cared deeply about and it's ended badly and the lover to enemy is just that taken to the nth degree it's just like well what if it it didn't just end badly but it continued to be bad for a long time and this person was after me and out to get me and trying to hurt me and others that i care about and so because you can put yourself um you know all those cliches those those are things that we latch onto because as human beings they resonate with us in some way we we can relate to them in our own personal lives yeah i mean even the villain turns out to be your dad that works in star wars so well yeah i've used that a couple of times <laughs> turns out <laughs> guess what you know that that long lost brother that you put in your character's backstory that you let me play with what did you think i was gonna do with that obviously you wanted that to be a bad person later you clearly set that up for me thank you <laughs> Oh, another just thinking of like the, you know, the character backstory that you write up to a lot of people I know players always like players who write up a a, the tragic backstory right or just write up a fair amount of backstory to their character. Um, You know, if a GM takes some of that and you know bring some of that into the story and, and integrates you know okay, well, there's, there's this thing that you wrote into your backstory that I'm going to make part of the story right now. We're gonna, that helps to connect the player. Um, it gets them invested in the story right out, of the, right out of the gate. But if you've got players, you know, just as a GM, if you've got players that like to write a lot of backstory, pick the thing that like, I could do something really cool with that, but I'm not going to do it for 20 sessions. <laughs> um, and the, the player will forget that they wrote that into their backstory. Right. One, one of two things will happen. They will forget and they will be pleasantly surprised and be like, oh my God. Um, or they'll be just sitting there waiting and the tension will build. They'll be like, are they going to use this? I, get, I gave the GM this perfect like little morsel that they can, like, are they going to do something with it? And then when it does happen, they'll be really excited. That happens to me sometimes in in the, the game I've been playing for a very long time. 
Um, I, I have this backstory. I, our GM asked us, someone in your past died. Who were they? Why are they important to you? And I chose it to be my, when I was a kid, it was my older sister. She died when she was 12. And I, as a player, know all of the fun cliches that could happen. I, as a player, know like this could be a possibility, but my character has no reason necessarily to think that this is what has happened. And now I'm sitting here as a player because my attention as a player is also important as my attention as a character. Is this person, that character I set up in the backstory a long time ago, is that going to happen? I love that too. Oh, yeah. But <laughs> one of the things that I, I like too doing that, especially with LARPs, because LARPs, you have a lot more characters, is somebody says, Oh, my, my family was butchered by a, a man in a red hat. And then somebody says, oh, this, this guy named, named Scrave did this thing to me. And then you basically say, so just so you know, Scrave wears a red hat. <laughs> the guy with the red hat is named Scrave. And so then you've got two players who are like, <gasps> and it's, it's always fun because in those games with a lot of people, like you get the people who never would have interacted with one another really because they're in different cliques and they do different things. All of a sudden they're like, you know this guy that I also hate. Let's get them together. <laughs> let's, and hate, that's let's hate them together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, I love, I could talk about villains all day. Uh, we do have another topic we need to get to though. Mm-hmm. And that is creating your own mechanics in a, in a game as a game designer. So switching over to our game design topic. Ooh. Oh boy. And Craig, this is, this is your area of expertise. We talked about <laughs> hacking systems last time, which I've done. You create a lot of your own mechanics. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, what, what do you want to know? <laughs> like, where do we even start? Like, okay, for me, I, I have a problem with overwhelm and organization. It, when you're starting from scratch, there's so many possibilities ahead of you. Where do you even decide where to start? Like, where? Well, for me, it has typically been looking at what different mechanics are like at the table and finding, starting starting with the thing that kind of fits what you think the game needs for a mechanic. Um, and that is to say, you know, in, in for simplicity's sake, let's look at dice, right? Um, the d20 system or something like that where you've got a big a big die it's real swingy you can roll a very very low number you can roll a very very high number are you going to roll are you going to roll that that can create a wide swing of possible um outcomes and if you have bonuses or penalties that go on top of that die little little bonuses means the die is more important so rolling that die becomes very very important um big 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 bonuses the die is less important gaining those bonuses is more important um, and, and how does that play in the game? Um, you know, rolling uh, two dice and adding them together, pretty simple math kind of thing. Rolling, five, you know, rolling, you know, one, two, f- 10 dice and adding them together, big math sort of thing. Do you want to slow down task resolution? Do you want to slow down combat with a lot of math that has to happen, in, you know, in people's heads at the table? Um, so, and how does all of that relate to the game and what you want the game to do? 
Do you want the game to be fast and quick and kind of keep moving? Well, then anything that's going to involve a lot of dice re-rolling or a lot of um, dice adding, numbers adding, probably doesn't suit, suit your purposes. You know, something that's going to be roll one die or roll a couple dice and add them together will do what you're looking for more. So I tend to start with like, you know, what I think is kind of appropriate for how I want the game to play and what the theme of the game is. Um, I'm just trying to think of like, Oh, what's a good example? Like die laughing, I think is a good example. When I finally nailed down that dice system, I knew that the game wasn't going to require you to roll dice a lot, but I wanted the, 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 the dice rolling itself to have, you know, have a, um, a real effect. So like in, in, in die, in die laughing, every time you roll a, a pool of D sixes, you're either going to cause somebody else to lose a die from their pool, or you're going to lose a die from your pool. And that die pool is a countdown and the countdown, when you get down, when you run out of dice, your character is going to get murdered horribly by the monster or the serial, you know, the, the slasher killer or whatever in, in the, this is a horror game. Um, so, um, you know, it's like, I didn't mind having a lot of dice to roll. <laughs> um, because I knew that you weren't going to have a lot of dice for very long and it was going to, you know, the, the, um, it, and you weren't adding anything um, and you were only rolling dice occasionally. Like basically everybody who's in a scene rolls dice at the end of the scene to determine kind of how things go for their character during that scene. You're not doing like combat rounds and things like that. So I, th I mean, that, that, that's the core of it is to kind of like look at ideas of what might serve the purpose. And you might, you might come up with like, there's, this could be, this could be done a few different ways. Um, and you might want to try out a few different ways, or you might just pick ones and just gut feeling and be like, okay, I think this is the one that I can take. I can manipulate it a little bit. I can add subsystems or expand how the dice system works to, to get me where I want to go. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and, and then, you know, the, the questions I'm always asking myself are how, um, you know, what is the game about? What do the characters do? What is the setting like? And what experience do you want the players to have? And then ultimately, how can the mechanics support those things? So do the mechanics, if the setting is affected by the mechanics in some way, um, the environment of the game, um, you know, how, how can I do that? maybe the setting is just a backdrop. Maybe they're the, you know, the, the mechanics don't interact with the setting really. Um, you know, like the, the play experience is, you know, something that I've found myself thinking more and more about. That's mostly what I was talking about earlier was like, you know, die laughing is all about starting out with a bunch of dice and slowly dwindling down to none because slowly you're getting closer and closer to your character's death. And that's what the game is about. In capers, you're flipping cards and every, every, uh, every trait check is a gambling game. You know, you're actually, you're, you're flipping cards, you're pressing your luck, um, but it's, but it's just a few card flips. So it's not super time intensive because I didn't want a system that was going to, it was going to bog down a lot. Um, I mean, uh, like the initiative system that I put together for good, strong hands is um, basically the character that kind of initiates everything that kind of kicks off a, uh, an action sequence. Um, gets to go first because they did the thing that incited everything. Um, and then when, once they've gone, they choose who goes next. Um, and that is to, that, that does a, a number of things. It keeps the initiative from being just the same every round. It, it forced it and you don't have to re-roll to get 
initiatives in characters going in different orders. You just, and it also reinforces the theme of the game where the characters are very much cooperating with each other. So I like the game literally allows you to be like, okay, I'm going to, we're going to set up this combo. I'm going to do this. Then you're going to do that. Then you're going to do that. And that's going to achieve a goal. Um, and we're going to pass the turns around that way. Do you start in a similar place, Jeff, or do you have other? Uh, so, so I, I, a lot of it sounds very familiar. I think for me, it, because I've been trying to design games for a very long time. And what winds up happening is, as I start out making games, unfortunately, like the games that I've already played. And so it was like, oh, well, I've got to have a thing for like, because D&D was my go-to like forever. So it was, oh, it's got to have, I've got to have saving throws and I've got to have magic and I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And basically it's, it's me building the car all over again, but in a different way. And then, um, and so the reason why and I'm going to tout my own product here, Boldly Go, was so, was, was so much fun for me to make is because basically what happened is I was like, you know, I haven't seen Star Trek in a while. I'm going to watch the original series from the beginning. And partway through, I was like, oh, you know, you could really make a game out of this. And then another voice in my head said, there's already like five games based on this. And then I realized that the reason why I was never really interested in playing those games is because those games are always very granular and very technical. It's like, you've got to, you know, here's how you progress through the ranks and here's your character's life path. Or, or some of them are just like, here's a, here's a Klingon and you have to shoot him. And <laughs> I was like, well, you watch the show and they do shoot things. Sometimes they shoot things a lot, but the point of the show is not combat. It's something else. And so I said, well, yeah. okay, if I were going to make a game, that's like this show. What are the core elements of the show that need to be modeled in the mechanics so that even if people who don't know the source material sat down and I say, this is how it works, they will basically play an episode of the TV show. And for me, it was, you have to figure out a way for the characters to naturally want to work together to cooperate, to solve problems. You want to make it easy for them to use all of their abilities together because that builds the team. And you also have to find a way because, and this is sort of like how, how stories work, how narratives work. It's like, it's okay if they fail in the beginning. And in fact, it's exciting because like, Oh, are they going to do it? You know, but they have to succeed at the end. And so I have this drama point system where it's basically every, every time you fail or get hurt or something bad happens to you, you get points. And then at the end, you can like spend them all and do something awesome. And it's like, yeah, we saved the day because we're amazing. <laughs> and then I also said, well, and to make sure, because I'm one of those players who ends the game and it's like, I had 40 healing potions. I didn't drink any of them because I didn't want to waste them. So I never used them and they would have been really handy, but I wanted to make sure. And it's like, it's the last fight you can drink. No, I, I may need them. <laughs> um, so I basically said, if you spend drama points, that's how you get experience points. So you are encouraged to spend them. Otherwise you don't get better between sessions. And that's smart. Yeah. So it's like, it's like, don't be like me, spend, do it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and the last thing that I did, and this was the hard part, um, I found out through playtesting that not everybody, but a lot of people, if you say I'm a captain and you're a commander or you're an ensign or whatever, there's this hierarchy that naturally develops. It's like, I'm waiting for you to tell me what to do. It's like, no, they don't, they don't do that. 
on, on Star Trek and we should do it in the game because that's not fun. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, and so you get the players who are like, I don't want to take initiative because of the command structure. And then you've got other people who are like, you will listen to what I say because I outrank you. And I said, how do we fix that? And so what I realized is that the captain is really, he's not, or she or they is not the leader, their support. So I turn the captain to a support role where it's like you basically give stuff. You, it's like they want to impress you. So when you order them to do something, they'll get bonus points to do it. So like, yeah, tell, tell me to fix the engines and, and it'll be easier for me because, because you're the captain and you're great and, and I really like you and stuff. And, and, so, and so that's that basically made it for me like this is a game that I would like to play that's based on the things in the show that are important to me. And so, I mean, and, and I know there's a Modifius Star Trek game out there. I actually have it. It's on the shelf back there. And I know it's super popular and I've read the, uh, the episodes and they're great, but a lot of them for me focus on things that I'm not as interested in. I like the, the moral complexity, the, the, the morality play where it's like, here's a social issue. What do we do about it? What's the right thing to do? Is there a right thing to do? Which kind of, you know, goes back to the whole villain thing. It's like you get this story and you're like, we want to do the right thing, but we don't know what it is. So we're going to do the best we can. And in the end, it's okay. Because we're Starfleet. <laughs> That's, yeah, I, I, I love the idea of approaching it from a like, what, what feel do you want from the game? For me, start. I I've played a couple Star Trek games. I, I've never really played beyond just one in a campaign because I didn't get into. A, a feel very similar to you because for me, I like the pulp sci-fi aspects. I I like more of that. Whereas a lot of these games are very like, I I I don't know, very scientific, and and that's cool. That's cool. But I don't want to play that game. I wanna I wanna fight a a giant space lizard uh that's, that's right. what i want to do um but, but yeah starting from there and i think also starting from a problem solving point of view could be really helpful like this is a problem i have in in such and such game and you kind of mentioned that too like i have the problem with the 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 rank system because it doesn't really work for players it, it these rigid roles how can i problem solve for that um I think that's a way a lot of people, well, number one, they start house ruling things. And that's also a way that people start, you know, making their own systems. Like, I don't like this about the games I've played. I want a game that can do this. Right. Um, I just don't, I don't have too much experience of making my own mechanics because Alex, my, my partner is, is usually the one that, that does those things. Usually <laughs> I say like, I don't like that games do this. I want a game that does this. He's like, well, let me figure that out. So one time we were making a, a one-page RPG about mechs. We wanted a way that represented the cooperation between all the elements of the mech. Like what was a what was a cool resolution system for that? And he literally said, "Okay, give me a second. I'm going to take a nap." And he took a 15-minute nap and he woke <laughs> up. He was asleep, like 15-30 minute nap. Woke up and said, "I got it." And I'm like, "How did you think about? It? You were asleep. You were snoring." <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> I have to think about things. And like I said, it does, it does get pretty, um, you know, it gets a little overwhelming for me sometimes to just like create something out of nothing when it comes to the mechanic sides of things. I'm not, um, 
I'm not a very math oriented person. I am the person in, in our, in our company that does lore and things like that instead. Um, but yeah, uh, have, what about, um, the, the idea of killing your darlings when it comes to stories is like, I mean, that, that's very true, but have you ever had to like kill a mechanic that you personally really liked and you wish worked for your game? Can you tell me? All the time, <laughs> all the time. It's been my experience that, and I don't know if this is true for everybody, but you can start out with a very stripped down, simple core concept, but then you think of something. And so you're like, okay, it, everything is always like this, except for this. And then that kind of grows and gets out of control. And it's this whole thing. You're like, oh, that's really neat. It, it has nothing to do with the base game. It's this whole, it's, it feels different. It, acts differently and and so you have to like snip it off i snip it off and i say maybe i'll make something else later and i'll put it over here or like you know i've designed whole systems where it's like this is going to be really elegant and it hits the table and it's just it just blows up in my face and it's okay back to the drawing board but you know that's that's the value of playtesting. yeah it was uh for me the, the 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 mechanic that i had to kill was the um driver initiative rules for capers covert um which is the 1960s setting of capers where um it's super spies with superpowers and um i was introducing vehicle chase and vehicle combat rules um and i put together a system for like if you were the driver of a vehicle of, of the vehicle um you there was a there was a there was a subsystem that worked differently than the, the normal card based resolution, um, and it was still card based, and it, it it involved a sort of a gambling aspect. It was bidding a card, um, where you would bid a card and flip it over, and like whoever had to put the highest card out got to go first, and you could save high cards for later, and you could do you know there was there was strategy involved, <laughs> and. Um, it was it was inspired a bit by the old James Bond 007 um, because it did have this kind of bidding. It had like a gamble, like a, like a kind of a real minor kind of gambling mechanic to it. And I thought it was really neat. And I put it out there to the playtesters and they all came back and said, this is neat, but it's a subsystem that is different from the core mechanic of the game. It requires us to learn something new. It's only going to be used occasionally unless you're planning to have car chases very, very regularly, which means you're going to end up relearning it every time because it's not a system that's going to stick with you mm -hmm. until you've done it a bunch of times and it just feels too different from what we're used to doing because the the the, the main mechanic is is so cohesive and and functions across so many other aspects of the game so i dumped it completely um and did like a variation of the the typical card flipping to deal with initiative because i wanted i wanted the car chase dynamic to be very you know wanted to be very dynamic and a little more hectic because if it's just everybody going in the same order all the time, then um, it's like, well, I go and then you go and then I go and then you go. Well, when am I going to get a chance to outpace you? Um, <laughs> if you're constantly just going at, right after me and keeping up with me. And yeah, so it, it, it had to die. I've got a copy of it sitting in a Word document somewhere. Um, but it's, it's, it's been sleeping peacefully for a few years now. <laughs> it didn't make it into the game. Yeah, I find that really important in a game to not have a section of the game that feels so incredibly different from the other resolution mechanics. Um, 
yeah, I can I can definitely I can attest to because we're we're making a system right now. Um, and there had been parts where I was like, this feels like it isn't the same game at this point. We can't do that. We gotta scrap that. Go back. It needs to be, it needs to feel like the same kind of stuff. Um, I don't like playing games where there are a lot of different like different resolution mechanics for every little thing. It doesn't really work. And it's probably if you if I would guess if you step back, you'd realize it doesn't really fit with necessarily the feel of the whole game that you're going for. Um, and like being being theme forward and story forward is a pretty good place to go. I like daydreaming and thinking about these things. I, I don't often turn them into anything, but thinking like, how would I represent this thing? Like, how would I represent grading papers in because I have to think about something else when I'm grading papers other than grading papers. How would I represent this in a TTRPG? How would I <laughs> I would never play a game where I'm grading papers in a TTRPG, but if I were to make a game based on this, what would I do? Uh, I like thinking about those things and, and toying with those. They're they're little um amuse bouches of of <laughs> uh, I just don't often incorporate them, obviously. Like I said, I don't I don't design a lot of the mechanics. But there's there's a lot of really interesting little. I, I find that you can vary from the core mechanic a little bit, as long as it's really meaningful, um, and it's not something that's going to just happen occasionally. You know, you can, like with with good strong hands, basically, when you roll dice, roll multiple dice, shooting for a target number. Um, if you get no if none of the dice hit the target number you mark a checkbox on one track if one of the dice hits a t uh, get hits you mark a, a checkbox on a different track and if two or more hit then you mark a, on a third track um and each of those tracks means different things and when you fill up boxes like one of the tracks you can spend the points and the other two tracks when you fill up the points things happen um and so when i did nowhereville i used the same system but i made that third track different I themed it to do something that would fit a horror game as opposed to a fantasy game. Um, and um, so it's, it's, it works, it works differently than the other tracks than the way, you know, when, when you, when you, when you get two or more hits, something, instead of filling up boxes, you're, you're sliding your, your marker along a track. And when you fall off the edge, that's when something happens and you can fall off of either edge. Mm -hmm. um, and there are different reasons to go to different directions on the track. Um, but inevitably, inevitably, you're going to fall off the track at some point, and it's a horror game, so that's when the really horrible thing happens. <laughs> it's when you fall off the track, right? Um, because you've succeeded far too many times, and the town needs to punish you. Is basically how. <laughs> oh God. Um, yeah, I'm so not right about that guy. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the town is alive in the game. The town has a has a presence, oh. and so like yeah, like little little Nobody had a problem with that. When I play tested, everybody was like, oh, okay, so that's how the track works for this game because it was a slight deviation from what they were used to because some of them had even play tested and, and played good strong hands before. Um, but doing something that was very, very different, yeah, that's you got to be careful. Yeah. It's, it's just not acceptable as well, it's not as acceptable in game design as it once was. Gone are the days of second edition where you had like seven different types of roles. Right. You rolled a d20 and you wanted high. You rolled a d20 and you wanted roll. You rolled percentile dice. You had all your damage dice were different for everything. And then you had, um, uh, what else do you have? You know, uh, 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 
magic and psionics. It's magic and psionics. You had percentile dice for your thief skills and right. Um, yeah, yeah, it, like it. Uh, yeah, people, people, sort of players tend to expect more unified systems. Um, so you know, I had my experiment <laughs> with uh, with with deviating quite a bit, and it just didn't fly. Um, and I've done the same thing as, as Jeff too, where it's more about like, um, well, what can I do to replicate this thing in the game or in, in, in the media? Cause I, you know, I did, I created low stakes, which is basically the role-playing game version of what we do in the shadows. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was a question of like, well, how do you do the, uh, the, uh, uh what do you call them? You know, the, uh, interview scenes, the confessional scenes. Like I want to have the characters be able to talk to the camera and yeah. reveal something, right? Different things that they can reveal and, and what, well, what encouragement do they have for doing that? What do they gain for doing that? Because I want to make sure to incentivize the players to say, okay, well, you know, a couple of times per game session, I'm going to cut scene and I'm going to like <laughs> talk to the camera and say something, reveal some tidbit about something that somebody now that now I've improvised this thing that other people have to deal with in the game. And it gives me a point of some sort. It gives me, you know, I, I gain some benefit out of it. Um, those are, those are always really fun. It's just like, if you're, especially when you're basing your game off of some other media, like how do I replicate that <laughs> in the game? Yeah. I think in my opinion, you can't go wrong if you are trying to marry the mechanics and the theme as much as possible. Um, I, I feel like that's kind of the core of a, of a good game. Um, yeah, it just, if, if it's just a lot, like making a whole new thing is a lot. I often will just like cut, like, I like this thing from this game and I really like this. I'm going, I think this works well for this. So I'm going to take this part and I'm going to take this part and I'm going to put those two parts together and it's going to be a new thing. Uh, <laughs> sure. So. And, and there's, there's something to be said too for, I mean, if you, if you want to try to create a system that is more universal, um, that can be broadly applied to different genres and, and it may, it may not have as much of the thematic tie-in. Um, uh, you know, there, there are people who love those games as well, where it's like, well, I can play seven different genres. <laughs> like if I just learn this one system, um, if, uh, if you can find a, you know, if you can put together a system that's, that supports enough of what those different story ideas, game ideas, genres are about, um, it may never be as pretty and cohesive and uh, like it, you know, where, where the mechanics and the story and the, what the game is about play together and mesh together so well that a game where that's, that's totally de developed to, yeah. to do that. They you know, you may not get that out of a universal system, but you know, as an example, Savage Worlds system is um, you know, has been applied to a lot of different genres mm -hmm. and it, the, that system that game system doesn't try to apply. It doesn't try to meld in, in, in that weird kind of really deep meshy kind of way with all those different genres. What it tries to do is be fast, furious and fun. Yeah. And then every one of those other genres that you tack onto it, it's going to be like, Oh, it's going to be, uh, you know, horror campy horror in the West. It's going to be like serious horror in Victorian England. It's going to be supers. It's going to be fantasy, but it's always going to be fast, furious and fun. It's always going to have like big over the top characters that take multiple hits to, to kill it's going to have you know it's going to have the mook mechanic where you've got like the, the these extras that just one hit and they're out so that the combat moves um and it's going to use a certain set of of, of attributes 
um, and certain types of mechanics. And it's got the bennies and exploding dice and all those things that, you know, you love about Savage Worlds. Um, but, and, but, but that's what the, but that's what the game is, you know, what, 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 what play experience do I want the characters, to, the, the, do I want the players to have? I want them to have a fast, curious and fun one. I want them to have a game that we can tell a complete story in two and a half hours if we need to, and have two combats. <laughs> you know, I had, I had a talk with Shane Hensley and he said he developed, you know, like the Savage Worlds was developed out of the fact that he was getting older and had family and didn't have as much time to, you know, he couldn't run five and six hour game sessions anymore. He wanted a game system where he could sit down and tell a complete story with multiple combats with some dice complexity in three hours. And that's the game system that they put together. Yeah, I mean, that's probably better of like what I was trying to say, like theme doesn't necessarily mean genre. sometimes theme and genre are not it doesn't have to be genre it doesn't have to be replicating something from a media it can literally be the experience the story you want to tell 4e what does what does four what does uh, 5e what does 5e do well 5e well uh, 5e uh, uh, the d20 system in general what did the d20 system do what is it you know thematically it allows your characters to start out as competent and end the campaign as gods Mm -hmm. and you can you can wrap so many different types of games around Mm -hmm. that chassis yeah. Well, <laughs> this has been a lot of fun. Jeff, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. This was great. I really enjoyed myself. Jeff, where uh, can we find you? What things do you have to plug today? Uh, so I have I have my game that I've been talking about the whole time, Boldly Go, which you can find at my website, which is jeffquest, G-E-O-F-F, quest.com. And, uh, um, and I'm also working on a a stripped down fantasy role-playing game called dungeon adventure, which I hope to have out soon once I figure out how InDesign works (laughs) and, uh, and, you know, more stuff coming soon. So there's always, you know, whenever I get a free moment, I'm, I'm working on a game. So hopefully I'll have more for people in the near future. That's awesome. Jeff quest. Yes. You can find me on Twitter at, at Joska or at my game company's website, wannabegames.com. Um, yeah, or you can come listen to RPG R&D. And you can find me at NerdBurgerCraig on Twitter. Um, the website is nerdburgergames.com. The Good Strong Hands, Fancy Schmancy, really nice hardcover, and the Capers, really nice hardcover. Um, are both available there. They are the same cost as the print-on-demand versions at DriveThruRPG, and they are better quality books. Buy them. I printed a bunch of them. <laughs> so if, you, if you're if you interested in a hardcover of the game, that's that's going to be the, your best deal. It's going to be a book that holds up. And then everything is available at DriveThruRPG.com. Thank you again, Jeff, for joining us. And thank you all for listening. We'll see you back here next time. <laughs>